Hey, welcome to Hindsight, the podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey of exploration with you. We often find ourselves reflecting on the choices we've made and wondering how our lives might have unfolded differently if we had taken a different path. Here's the beauty of hindsight. It gives us a chance to gain wisdom and learn from our past decisions. Look, this podcast is a platform to dig deep into those pivotal moments and uncover the invaluable lessons hidden within. <laughs> Look, I'm Lee Jones, your host, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on board. So let's dive right in and explore the fascinating realm of decisions on Hindsight the Podcast. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes we're learning from the in hindsight. Yesterday and your tomorrow in hindsight is so much clearer now. This is Hindsight the Podcast, and introducing your host, Lee Jones. Welcome to Hindsight the Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Jones. And today, I have the pleasure of having Nilu Kaur, a facilitator, neuro-linguistic programmer, executive coach, and stress management specialist with a degree from New York University Stern School of Business and Master's in Social and Organizational Psychology from Columbia University. Nilu offers a unique blend of academic excellence and practical expertise. She's certified in NLP, which is that neuro-linguistic programming, yoga instruction, Ayurveda, and Ericksonian hypnotherapy. With 15 years of experience in leadership development across sectors like financial services, consulting, and technology, Nilu's insight resonates with professionals at every level. Her recent book, Be Your Own Cheerleader focuses on self-advocacy for Asian and South Asian women. Her journey began with her own challenges in self-promotion, which she has since turned into a mission to empower others. As a coach, Nilu has guided thousands, especially women, through similar journeys of self-discovery and empowerment. I'm absolutely thrilled to have Nilu Kaur on Hindsight, the podcast. Welcome, Nilu. How are you doing? Hey, Lee. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said a lot of words in the yes. intro. Yes. Uh, you've done a lot of things, but t- tell us a little more, a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, you know, when you read it off on a piece of paper, it sounds like a lot, but you know, when you're just living life and you're going through life and you need assistance for yourself, at least for me, I'm a continuous learner, and so I was my first client, and I always start with that story is that I was my first client, and so because I needed so much guidance and counseling is what really set the set the pave way or the yeah the roadmap for me to really go down a path of self improvement and that's what led me to where I am today. All right, so so your journey from a bachelor's degree at New York University to becoming an accomplished NLP practitioner and stress management specialist is impressive. Can you share a pivotal moment from your past that set you on this path of self discovery and coaching? Sure. You know, I don't even know if it's more of an NYU thing. I think for me, I really think my world really opened up after my master's, which was at Columbia. And it's because I was studying social and organizational psychology. I I used the experience I had in consulting and then really focused on adult learning and leadership development. And so I guess a pivotal moment. Well, actually, so what was your question? A pivotal moment for when? A pivotal moment from your past that set you on this path of self-discovery and coaching. I mean, you mentioned that you're a continual learner. 
um, but specifically on self-discovery and coaching? Yeah, I think, you know, after my master's, I started coaching pretty immediately. It was part of our curriculum at Columbia. And so I, I, I started with sort of career transitions for people and also internal mobility for folks that wanted to move around within the organization. And from there, it expanded and sort of evolved into this world of, you know, not just helping people in their organizations, but also helping people navigate challenges in their life. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying I'm a life coach. I definitely focus on career and work, but you know, we are human beings and we bring all aspects to ourselves uh, at work. And so I really help people sort of, I don't spend too much time. And that's, I think that's the big difference between therapy and coaching. So in therapy, I say you spend a lot of time looking through the rear view mirror and in coaching, you're sort of focused on where you are now and where you want to go. So what is your primary shift? And I help people really understand and assess where they are now and where they'd like to be in X amount of time. Excellent. So your book, Be Your Own Cheerleader, focuses on self-advocacy for Asian and South Asian women. Now, I'm going to stop right now because W-O-M-Y-N. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so keep keep that in mind because I yes. need you to explain that to me. Yes. Could you, could you reflect on a personal experience that inspired you to write this book and address the unique challenges these women face in the workplace? Yes. So what is, well, am I saying it right? Because I'm saying it like woman, women. Yes. Yeah. It's the same women. Yes. It's just, it's changed the to take. So if you look at the word woman, it, there's mm-hmm. M-E-N in the word, right? And so the idea is for those of us that are sort of advocates for she power, <laughs> I don't even want to use the word feminism, but they've, you can, you've seen, I've seen it written as W-O-M-Y-N, also W-O-M-X-N. So just taking the E out to take sort of the gotcha. man. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. So could you reflect on some of the personal experiences that inspired you to write this book? Sure. And I do want to say I'm not anti-man. I actually think there's, I, I, I'm not, I'm a feminist for, you know, women and equality, but I'm not anti, anti-male, I, I think. So just wanted to uh, say that as well. So I'm sorry, what was your question? So we might not be talking if you were not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Could you reflect on a personal experience that inspired you to write this book and address the unique challenges these women or women face in, in the workplace? Yes. So I specifically remember in 2013. So I graduated from grad school in 2009 and I started working at a very large organization. And I remember in 2013, I got downsized. And when I was downsized, I was escorted back to my desk to grab belongings. They like they literally treat you like a criminal when you're escorted out of a building. And at that point, that was my third or fourth downsizing. And I remember looking around at my coworkers who were all white, either they were white men or white women, and they were all still in their chairs. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like I didn't get the memo or I'm not part of this click. And it really, at that moment, I mean, I will never know if it was bias, but I have a feeling that it might've been a little bit of bias, but it could also just be that I absolutely sucked at self-advocacy. Like Mm. I know people around me were really good at advocating for themselves. They knew how to talk about their accomplishments. And I really felt in that moment that I could have done a better job for advocating for myself. And that would have probably prohibited me from getting downsized. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's a good, a good segue. As someone who has, and you are now, you said you started coaching immediately. So as someone who has 
coached thousands of professionals, including Asian and uh, South Asian women. What common threads have you noticed in their struggles with self-promotion and self-advocacy? And you've experienced that yourself. Um, And can you share an example of how uh, NLP techniques helped someone overcome some of these challenges? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer it in two parts. So the first question about what is the common thread? And so one of the biggest common threads between Asian and South Asian cultures, and there's also other cultures that have this common thread, like there's certain Latin cultures, there's certain African cultures, Arab cultures. But the idea is that these cultures are very collective and they're very we-based. And corporate America in the US and North America is very I-based. So what happens is when you come from a we-based culture, you are it's all about group harmony. It's about keeping your head down. You don't want to stick out in any way. You just want to sort of blend in and you want, it's all about the harmony of the group versus I cultures, which are about sticking out, about self-advocacy, about talking about yourself, using the word I, like in we-based cultures, you don't really use I very often at all. And so when you come from those cultures, so whether you're born and raised in those cultures or you're raised in North America, but your parents come from those cultures, it's just a skill that we are not familiar with because we were taught to just keep our head down, to just do our work and our work will speak for itself. And that's not the case in corporate America. That's interesting because for me, coming from the military, I was in a Mm we-based culture, Mm -hmm. right? And so transitioning out of the military and into corporate world, I still have the we, and I have to kind of weave in the I, Mm -hmm. right? I got to know when it's, when it's, you know, in my favor to use I and when it's, you know, viable to use we. Um, So, you know, self-promoting was difficult because we we didn't do that in the army, right? Um, So I can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. I think one of the things though, is like when we have to dance between the we and the I for Asians and South Asians and other people, just like yourself coming from the military, the way I like to think of it is sort of a dial. Like if you think of a speedometer on a car, right? Like one side is we and one side is I. And what I say when I'm coaching my Asian and South Asian professionals is that you, with the awareness of knowing that there's a dial, you you can turn up the I when you need to, for example, in a performance review conversation or if someone is taking credit for your work, that's when you want to turn up the eye and in that meeting say, actually, you know, let's just circle back to the to something and, and highlight your accomplishment. Otherwise, it will get overlooked. So just knowing that there is this dial and you have the ability to navigate between the I and the we actually allows you to have the confidence to do so in the moment. Right. I've been slinging this word, these words, neuro linguistic programming around like I have an idea. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't. So before I ask this next question, could you explain what what, uh, NLP or neuro linguistic programming is? Yes. So NLP is uh, came out basically around in the 70s. And if anyone is familiar with Tony Robbins, he sort of brought NLP to light, but he's taken it and, and done some different things to NLP. But NLP is really a communication strategy. So the way I like to describe it is that you as a master communicator never expect people to come to your bus stop. You always flex to meet people where they are. And so NLP gives you the strategies to speak to yourself first and foremost, but to also become a master communicator with other people. So you can build rapport quickly. You can influence when you need to. And also it allows you to just have a better sense of questions, questions that you ask yourself and questions that you ask others. 
Okay, so your background in NLP and and psychology offers a unique perspective on mindfulness and stress management. So can you recall a time when you personally applied these techniques to navigate a particularly stressful situation? You spoke about one, I believe, and I don't know if you used it during the downsizing, um, but uh, to navigate a particularly stressful situation and how did it impact your approach using those techniques? I mean, I think my background and my history is riddled with stressful moments. Uh, I used to, I, yeah, it is, it is, but I used to have debilitating panic attacks. And so, as I mentioned at the very beginning, I was my first client. And so Mm -hmm. I did not know how to label panic attacks. Again, in Asian and South Asian culture, mental health is something that is not openly discussed in families. And so I really didn't know how to describe what I was going through. So it's only through my own exploration of spiritual text, of yoga, of Ayurveda, of NLP, that I figured out a toolkit or a cocktail of modalities that helped me with my mental health issues. And so I, it's hard for me to even think about one instance. I would say my whole childhood <laughs> and mm. most of my adulthood <laughs> is riddled with sort of issues of mental health and stressful moments. And so yeah. helping myself was the first way I could, like I needed to help myself before I could help others. Right. Well, that's admirable because, you know, those those are challenges that many of us deal with. Right. Some a lot more extreme than others. Right. But many times you feel that you're alone and, you know, being able to put yourself in a position, like you said, meet meet them, meet people where they are. Um, and helping them out is is definitely uh, needed in this culture. And I also think in the U.S. we have this misconception that there's one magic pill that will make us happy, and that is the 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 biggest you know fallacy I think we have because it is definitely a cocktail of things that it takes. And so each one of us, it, the onus is on us to figure out what that cocktail is. It is there's no such thing as one magic pill. Right. So having experienced the corporate world and its dynamics firsthand, and I'm going to take you back, right? (laughs) Here's the question. Can you take us back to a moment in your early career where you wish you had the self-promotion skills you now teach? And how would you advise your past self in that situation? So a specific situation, you know, prior to Mm -hmm. the downsizing. Um, that you can recall, if you can recall one. Yeah, absolutely. I actually talk about this in one of the beginning chapters in my book, but it was very early in my career. And I was in a, I was working at a very large consulting company and I was on a team. And I remember the senior consultant on the team, he and I worked till about, I don't know, 11 PM at night on this one presentation. And the presentation was the next day for a potential new client. And he told me to come in at I don't know, 10 a.m. And he said, just be ready. We're going to present this to this client. So please be here on time and all of this. And so I said, sure, no problem. So the next morning I get there and the meeting actually started at 9 a.m. So he told me, "Wow, yeah. So he wanted to take credit for our work that we did together. And also he wanted to make sure I was there later. So that made me look like unprofessional, but mm-hmm. also that I didn't have as much involvement in the project that I did. And so I was baffled. And at that moment, I didn't even know how to speak up. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to go to my manager and tell him what had happened. And that was my first real tangible experience of, wow, I really suck at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dang, that's oh, it's cutthroat, isn't it, sometimes? It is. And, you know, you add the element of being in New York City. It is so cutthroat. And then add yeah. corporate America to it. It is, it is a recipe for disaster if you do not know how to self-advocate. 
Wow. All right. So now here we go. Here's the big word. And you're going to have to say it for me again. Ayurveda. Your, <laughs> your expertise yeah. extends to yoga, Ayurveda. Yes. And hypnotherapy. Yes. <laughs> so could you share a story about how these practices have transformed the mindset and performance of one of your clients? And it could be you, right? Especially yeah. in context of self-advocacy. Yeah. I mean, I can start with myself. So again, as I mentioned, I had debilitating panic attacks. And so very early on, I started practicing yoga and different breathing techniques, also known as pranayama. And so that sort of led me into the world of Ayurveda, which is where yoga actually comes from. So Ayurveda is a holistic healing system based in India. It's 5,000 years old. It's actually older than Chinese medicine. A lot of people don't know that. Mm, and wow. The idea is that you at conception, you there's the blueprint. So when you're the sperm and the egg come together, you're that in that moment, that is your blueprint for life. And so what happens is as we age, as things happen to us, we get further and further away from that moment, that blueprint, which is in Ayurveda called your Prakruti. And so we want to help people get closer and closer back to sort of that or, original blueprint. And what what that means is each one of us is very unique and we have we're based on five great elements of space, air, fire, water, and earth. And so each individual has a different composition of those elements. And so the beauty of Ayurveda is unlike what Western medicine, which is treated sort of everyone's treated. If you have diabetes, you're treated as if you have diabetes, like very generically versus in Ayurveda, each individual is looked based on their blueprint and how they've gotten further and further away from that blueprint and are treated accordingly. So it's a very individualized way of being treated. And so Ayurveda talks about being a microcosm of the macrocosm and how we are basically mirrors of what's going on externally. And so Ayurveda for me has been a, a way to live life. So there's daily routines, there's evening routines. Also, because you're getting back to that original blueprint, you eat in certain ways that are better for you. So this, the fad diets don't really work in Ayurveda. Each diet plan is sort of customized based on your constitution. <laughs> wow. <laughs> how, how do you go? Okay. I guess like anything else, you, you get formal training. Yes. But yes. How, how are you? See, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, this is like, wow. Right. How were you introduced? Right. And so, maybe yeah. So, so my, so I'm, I was born in India and raised in the U.S. And my, my mom actually intuitively cooks, cooked throughout her whole life. And she's an amazing chef, but she would always cook. So, for example, you know, I don't know if you, if you've ever noticed that when you go into the supermarket and it's winter and you see fruit and the fruit is so big, it is pumped with hormones because that fruit is not in season. So what, okay. yeah. interestingly, my mom would always cook by the season, which is an Ayurvedic principle. So you don't cook things that aren't in season. So for example, fall is coming, right? Like autumn, fall. So you look outside and you see everything is brown and orange and yellow. So you're going to eat brown, orange, and yellow things. So the vegetables, the fruits that you eat are actually a mirror of what's going out on in nature. And so my mom was intuitively doing that. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know that a lot of the principles of my religion that I grew up with is I'm a Sikh, uh, you know, also Hinduism, like a lot of Eastern religions are based on Ayurvedic principles. And so there were things that my mom was doing at home that I just did not really know that were there were formal practices. And so when I was on my mental health journey, I 
first start, started with yoga. And then as I was getting deeper and deeper in studying and teaching yoga, I realized that I can't understand and teach yoga unless I understand and teach Ayurveda, which is where yeah. I then went to various programs and have studied extensively. And Ayurveda is one of those things that you can study your whole life and still not be fully <laughs> like an expert. So I continue to read spiritual texts that are Ayurvedic and share these pieces of wisdom that are 5,000 years old and still apply today. Amazing. I mean, I really, so this is, this is the benefit of, for me personally doing it. And hopefully for the listeners as well, is these tidbits, right? Like I've never heard this word mm-hmm. and it is amazing what I'm hearing because I've all, you know, I've always thought of the concept. I, so I try to write, I'm an mm-hmm. aspiring writer as well. And I think of these stories on how we get further and further away from reality mm-hmm. the longer that we live, mm-hmm. right? In this concept that you are, are you <laughs> are you made that? So are you? So it's it translates to the science of life. And if you Google Ayurveda, you will be blown away with all of the information. And so I'm glad I'm the first one to introduce it to you. I think your world will open up because it is so intuitive. And for example, even with the book writing, right? Like mm-hmm. one might ask me, how does Ayurveda, how did that impact the way I would write when I was writing Be Your Own Cheerleader? Well, Ayurveda, according to your constitution, there are certain times of the day when you are most active, you're most alert, you're most awake, aware. And so what you do is you figure those out, you work with an Ayurveda practitioner and you figure out what those hours are. And you may intuitively know, like for me, I know 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., that is when I could rule the world. And similarly, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. So right. when you know that these are your peak hours, that's when you put in your major things, when I'm facilitating sessions, when I am creative and need to create and write, like those are the pockets of time. And so when you start to just know more about yourself, you can really rule the world. <laughs> Man. Okay. Yeah. So as soon as I get off of here, I'm looking that up just so you know. Yes. And then reach out if you have any questions. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Absolutely. I appreciate that. So your journey has been marked by a commitment to continuous learning and growth. We mentioned that earlier. Earlier. So looking back, is there a skill or a knowledge you wish you had acquired earlier that would have significantly impacted your professional journey? Oh, absolutely. And it's so easy. It's don't sweat the small stuff. I think Mm. I spent most of my younger life, like thinking about things, overanalyzing, ruminating, and it just, those moments pass so quickly and then they're lost. You never think about them again. And yet in that moment, you 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 ruminate so much. And so I think that would be one thing, one skill, just don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, yes, in the moment, if you get downsized or you get fired or you get divorced, right? Like all of these things in the moment seem so terrible, but it is just sort of a blip on this map of your whole life. And so I really think that as we age, it becomes more, it becomes clearer that these moments pass and we have to figure out ways to just get through those moments. In Be Your Own Cheerleader, you explore the concept of self-advocacy. The book itself, it's self-explanatory as far as the title. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's something that everybody should read. Well, some people do it a lot better than others. It's more intuitive. But um, can you provide an example of how 
effective self-advocacy can positively influence the trajectory of a woman's career? And how can others emulate this success? Yes. And interestingly enough, so when my book was published, I actually got feedback from women, men, not just women, but women, men who were not Asian, who were not South Asian, they were extreme introverts, or they were neurodivergent, or they were underrepresented in some way. And they felt that there were tips in the book that really helped them. So be your own cheerleader. Yes, it's through the lens of culture, psychological and spiritual, and it really takes into consideration Asian and South Asian culture. But I have to say that having worked with so many men from different cultures also, self-advocacy comes easy for some of us and it doesn't come easy for others. And so I, I think one of the biggest things I've noticed is that we as women, and I don't know if you can relate to this from a male perspective, but women specifically and Asian and South Asian women even more so do not know how to celebrate small wins. And so we are ultimately, we cannot be anyone else's cheerleader until we are our own cheerleader. In Asian culture, we are taught to, it's a very superstitious culture. And so you're not taught to celebrate. You're like, you just wait till you get the degree or wait till you get married or wait till those big milestones do not celebrate in between. And I think to be your own cheerleader, we must learn to start celebrating those small wins. And I think it sounds so intuitive, but we probably don't do it. Like we get through, I'm sure you can experience this. You launched a podcast and I don't know if you actually gave yourself a pat on the back for the small steps that it took to launch the podcast. No, but I'm doing it right now. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm yes. learning. Yes. <laughs> right. Like you did this huge accomplishment. We all accomplished such great things. And when we look back, we don't give ourselves that pat on the back, that moment of cheerleading, whatever that looks like. And for some of us, it looks like, rewarding yourself with, you know, a day off of work or rewarding yourself with a trip or whatever it is. But it's like, think about all of the things, those little micro resilient moments that it took to accomplish that big success. And so I think that is one tip that I always give in my book and also with the people I coach is let's start thinking about these small micro moments and let's start celebrating them. Once you start celebrating them, you are going to intuitively naturally start being your own cheerleader. Right. I love it. I love it. I love how these questions just kind of roll into each other, too. As a coach, you empower individuals to tap into their inner resources. Could you tell us a success story where you guided someone to overcome self-doubt and step into a role they initially deemed unattainable? Yeah, I mean, I have so many stories and anecdotes from my book, but there's one particular person that I'm thinking of. And for her, you know, she she had been not only downsized, but she also lost her green card. And so she was sent back to the country of origin and her country of origin, which was Vietnam. And I remember when we were coaching, when I was coaching her, she was always scared of getting downsized because she thought she was going to have to, she would lose her job. And not only would she lose her job, but she'd have to go back because she, and she didn't want to go back. And so there was always fear about speaking up. There was always fear about losing her job. And so she couldn't actually perform to her capability because there was so much fear there. And so through different techniques, we've worked together. And one of the techniques from NLP that I used with her is called the as if frame. And everyone can do this, but ultimately you time travel and you move yourself into a future date. So today is August 11th, 2023, right? So what we would do is I would say, okay, now today is August 11th, 2024. 
tell me everything you accomplished as if it's already been done. And so we literally create a plan working backwards. And so one of her things was not only getting promoted, but also getting her green card. And that was sort of the things that we thought through. And we, when you speak about it as if it's already occurred, you're sort of creating a roadmap for yourself. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. And it makes absolute sense. So the as if frame I use with myself as well. So if I think about you know, my next big milestone that I want to, or the best, the next big accomplishment. It's like, okay, let me project into the future and talk to myself, talk out loud as if it's already occurred. See anyone who's listening today, hopefully you're doing what I'm doing. I'm just writing down notes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? As if, right. That's, these are good killer strategies. Yes. Right. (laughs) To do exactly what hindsight is intended to do. Right. It's to one, look at you know, your past and some of the decisions you've made and kind of take inventory and stock of that and and then come up with strategies on how to make better decisions or how to project yourself, you know, and, and kind of manifest these things that you want to accomplish. And, right. And, and so a roadmap to get there. Yeah. And the other piece of it is, you know, when I'm doing as if frames with any person or team or group of people, I mm-hmm. will first have them just sort of relax. And I will use phrases or terms from Ericksonian hypnotherapy. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be in a trans state, but it just allows you to relax so that you can get creative. You can be playful. You can time travel. So I even have people sort of step into a machine where they time travel into the future. And then we walk, we step out of the machine and now we're in the future. And then we talk about things that have occurred, right? And then you are sort of writing down all of the things, all of the milestones you're creating a roadmap for yourself. And so there's an element of playfulness. There's an element of using your imagination that I think as adults, we get further and further away from. And then there's just this element of goals and setting goals. Okay. As if that's my new mantra. Uh (laughs) Yeah. As if it's already occurred and talk to yourself as if it happened. All right. So your work embodies the essence of hindsight, excuse me, learning from the past to thrive in the present and the future. And if you could offer a piece of hindsight-based advice to your younger self, what would it be? And we talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. it, so now let's come up with something a little different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And how would it shape your journey differently? Yes, I think there's a mantra I have used. One of my mentors told me this many years ago. It was, get out of the way and keep it moving. So get out of your own way and keep it moving. Get out of your own way and keep it moving. So oftentimes, we get in our own way and we are our worst critic, right? So if we can step aside, let the adult badass emerge and then keep it moving because again, life is long, right? Hopefully life knock on wood is long and these are just little moments that happen. And so step out of your way, step forward and keep it moving. All right. So uh, your diverse expertise covers NLP, stress management, yoga, and more. Is there a particular, particular aspect of your work or perhaps a personal insight that you find deeply valuable, but we haven't had a chance to explore it yet? Hmm. Deeply valuable. I mean, I think one of the concepts of, of Ayurveda is routine. So having a routine every day is very important, whatever that routine looks like. And so I think for me, it is having yoga as part of my daily routine. It is having some routines in the morning that I do when I wake up. There's routines that in the evening that I do. And so I think one of the things as we become, you know, we've gone from being 100% virtual during the pandemic to now hybrid. And I think 
I think burnout happens when we don't maintain those routines. And so figuring out what you need to do to set yourself up for success in the morning, what that looks like for you, and then sticking sticking by it every day. I think one of the things that I stick by is that the first 30 minutes, I don't reach for my phone. Because when you reach for your phone, you're literally setting yourself up for being distracted and reactive all day. And so if you can just ease into your day without your phone, that will set you up for success. So that's a routine that seems rather easy, but many people struggle with it. And even I struggle with it. I want to reach for my phone when I wake up. Mm -hmm. But that 30 minutes is sort of my time to ease into the day. That's awesome. So right now I get to ease into my day with my little dog, Jasper. Mm. So he wakes me up about 530 every morning. And all I have time to do is get my Fitbit watch on, Mm -hmm. brush my teeth, and then take them out on a walk. Right. And so I use that time to kind of mentally prepare myself for the day. And I guess I use some of the as if as if it is already what is it as if it's already happened occurred. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use a little bit about that because I kind of walk myself through the day, hmm. um, and it never turns out that way, right? <laughs> but, right. But you take the time, right? And and um, so I think that is a great thing. Me, it's it's built in because he just does it for me, mm-hmm. um, and it doesn't allow me to go and look at the phone or check emails for work and things like that. I just get up. And it's his time. That's how I look at it. So I think that has been very beneficial um, for me. It hasn't always been that way, right? Um, I've had Jasper for four years. And the difference is I'll lay in bed and I'm and I'm back and forth and I'm like, oh, I got a meeting at eight. I got you know this going on. I got this going on, right? Well, now I'm just thinking, all right, Jasper's going to get me up at 5.30 <laughs> and we'll go on a walk. So it's very, it's very good. And by the time we're done with the walk, I'm alert, I'm ready to tackle the day. And, and at least I have a, a tentative strategy on how I'm going to approach it. So for me personally, I think that's great advice. Um, take some time, get your mind right before mm-hmm. you get, get to it. I love that. And I love that you have Jasper to help you do that. And the other thing I wanted to bring up, which I wish I would have said earlier, so I'm glad you brought this up. So, you know, yeah. as if, when I'm working with groups or teams, I, I use large, larger periods of time, like a year or six months or three months. But what you said is brilliant. You can do this daily. It's like segment intending of your day. So the intentions that you want to set for the day. So as if can be done for short periods of time, even shorter than the day, you can do it for your meeting before you get on a meeting. What is your intention as if, as if it already occurred, right? So as if is useful in, in many different time segments as well. Right. Good. I need to really, I, ne- I really need to do it more with meetings. You mm-hmm. would think I do. I really need to do that more with meetings and just kind of walk through the meeting mm-hmm. before I actually go to the meeting. Um, so I'm a, I'm a consciously make an effort <laughs> to, to pr- do that practice as well. Me so. too, because I forget as well. So I have meetings the rest of the day and I'm going to do that before I hop on Zooms. <laughs> it's just set <laughs> an intention for all of the meetings that are coming my way. Where, if someone wanted to reach out to you or learn a little bit more about, or a lot of it more about what it is that you do or about your books, how can, how can they reach out to you? Yes. So my website, neelucor.com. Also my most active platform is LinkedIn. I'm also on Instagram under my name. 
And my book, you can find Be Your Own Cheerleader on Goodreads, on Amazon, anywhere where you can find books, my book is there. So I hope that you be your own cheerleader and purchase my book. Yeah, I know I will. When when did you write that book? Yeah, so I've been I wrote it in for it took me about four years to write it, but it was published yeah. this year in January. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. January 24th of this year, 2023. Okay. Okay, definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'm going to go on there. Well, one, I have to Google Are you Are you Veda? Are you Veda? <laughs> right? <laughs> and two, I need to go on Amazon or Goodreads and, and order your book because it's, you know, I'm going on about it. It's really challenging to self-promote, you Absolutely. know, because it feels almost wrong mm-hmm. sometimes, right? But you get screwed if you don't. Exactly. And that's the thing. If you're questioning, if you sound too boastful, then the chances are you don't sound boastful enough and you right. need to be out there advocating for yourself because no one else will. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. This has been great. Yeah, it's been great. I, it was it was an awesome few minutes that we got to spend together. So I appreciate uh, it. Just a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, you know, you you gave an open invite. So if if I if I hit you up, I'm I of course you, you'll respond back. I I'm will. gonna I'm gonna have some questions though. All right. So Nilu, it's been an absolute ple- Oh, good lord! It's been an absolute pleasure uh, delving into your journey and insights, your expertise in coaching. NLP, stress management, and uni- unique focus on self-promotion for Asian and South Asian women with a Y has <laughs> <laughs> been incredibly enlightening. Uh, thank you for sharing your valuable perspective and experiences on the podcast today. Uh, your work, and when I say this, like it's written down, but I really, truly mean it. Um, your work is truly inspiring, and I'm sure our listeners have gained a lot from this conversation and thank you for being a wonderful and insightful and inspiring and open guest on the show today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm ready to dive into the book. How big is the book? How many pages is the book? How many pages? It's actually a quick read. It's less than, I think it's less than 200, maybe a little over 200 pages. But yeah, very easy, quick read. <laughs> You probably like it. Has anyone asked you that question? No. And it's funny because, <laughs> and literally my publicist is like, you need to memorize your book inside and out. And I'm like, yes, I do. Um, so many, so many forms of editing have occurred, you know? So it's of like, course. I, right. Of so it's course. like, yeah. So yes, it's over 200. It's a quick read and it'll be easy breezy. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I'll be reading it. And, and uh, you know, maybe we, I think I taught, I don't know if I talked to you before, it was before we started uh, recording, but maybe we can get on. Uh, let me read the book first. Yeah. And we can get on and do a video one. So we'll both Ooh. get glammed up. Yeah. <laughs> get on Lee, a video call and I talk am about always it. glammed up because I live on Zoom. Like, I feel like I always have to be camera ready. So this was just such a pleasure to not have to be on camera. So are you, is that something that you're looking to do for your podcast is go video also? Yeah, I am looking. Okay. Absolutely. It's just a skill set that I need to uh, get better at. Yeah. Right. The editing portion of it. Uh, doing audio is super simple, uh, but the video I'm assuming, and it may not be right. Just jump into it. It may not be as difficult as I think it is. So how, how long has your podcast been in out there in the world? All right. So now I get to be the guest. Yeah, exactly. So, 
so a friend of mine, Eric Gonzalez, he and I, we started the podcast um, a few years ago, pre pre uh, COVID, mm-hmm. and he and I were both members of the army, and that's where we met, and we both got out at, at kind of the same time. Initially, we created the podcast to help with service member men and women uh, transitioning from the military into the civilian world because there are a lot of challenges and hurdles and things you just don't know, right? Especially mm-hmm. if you spend a significant time in the military. Mm-hmm. So that was initially the concept of the show. COVID hit and it, me and him are both in supply chain mm-hmm. services, right? So COVID hit and it was a big hit to supply chain, which made our jobs a lot more stressful and difficult. And so we weren't able to maintain um, the show. So mm. we took like a year off and then I just restarted it again. So pre-COVID, probably about 20, uh, 2020 or 2019, mm-hmm. we may have started. And then there was 2020 through the beginning of 2021 where it was off. And then I just started it back up. Got it. Okay. So it's yeah. taken a lot of different. It's taken some flows. turns. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. So when I bought it back, I wanted it to be more of, um, you know, just looking back on experiences mm-hmm. and how you reacted to those experiences and the lessons that I've learned. And then how you can take that lesson or those experiences and kind of plot a way forward, right? Making making better decisions. So that was that's the concept now. Yeah, I love the name hindsight. Like I just think the I, I love the premise of it. And I'm glad you came on because you've really given me some some great insight. Perfect. And are you um, and on LinkedIn? Yes. And I'm going I'm to I'm hit you up. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks for tuning in to Hindsight, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button to stay updated on future episodes packed with inspiring stories. Before you go, leave me a message with your thoughts, feedback, or suggestions for future topics. And if you're loving what you hear, please take a moment to rate this episode. Your feedback helps me to grow and reach more listeners just like you. So remember, life's a journey. Stay tuned, stay curious, and keep gaining wisdom through the power of hindsight. Until next time. Oh, and don't forget, subscribe, leave a message, and rate this episode. When you look back in hindsight, everything is 2020. In hindsight, we make mistakes, we're learning.